Hello everyone, I'm Kevin Miller and this is The Ziggler Show, where our goal is to inspire your true performance. In this episode, auditing the negative to be positive. So being positive instead of negative. We've all heard plenty of that, especially here on The Ziggler Show. But then we go about our days and our lives being what? Are we really changing ourselves? Have we become more positive, truly? As I often seek to do, I want to know the root issues. If we're dealing with any negativity, why? Where is it coming from? And I'm not going to tell you uh, about it. Instead, I asked you, and I, I asked on Facebook, I posted this question. Which of these are you most prone to struggle with? One, complaining. Two, criticizing. Three, gossiping. Four, sarcasm. And in regards to those things, about what? Other people, A, or B, circumstances, or C, yourself? And then what do you think is the root cause of it? Well, the responses are still coming in. Uh, the question was prompted by my recent show, uh, episode 763 with Will Bowen. It was titled, Complaining is Poisoning Your Success. And we've gotten great feedback on that show. I really encourage you to listen to it if you have not already. And actually, it's a great one to share with those closest with you as their complaining helps fuel your own. Well, I had Tom Ziegler join me and we talked through a lot of the comments to this question with the intent of helping us all understand why we have these feelings and behaviors so we can be aware and take steps to curb it. So Tom and I will get started with you right after I share some great products and services. Well, Tom, on this question, I started off on the Facebook post. I posted my own just to kind of get the ball rolling. I don't know if I needed to because the ball rolled a lot on this topic. But no, I mean, no secret uh, to myself, my primary uh, downfall in these areas is criticizing myself, being critical of myself. And I think it came from just... Uh, an, an upbringing of high expectations that I appreciate, but I embraced it a little unhealthfully. And so my expectations are always high. I can never meet my own expectations and I can tend to be critical. And of course that then rolls out to being critical uh, of other people, but uh, you know, you know, and, and sarcasm towards, towards others and circumstances can come up. And I actually asked my wife the other day, this is interesting, Tom, I said, as, as, as I was thinking about this show, I said, honey, what do I complain about? And she ultimately boiled down to things that I can't control. She says, I'm worst. And you'll appreciate this. All your stories about, you know, the airport and, and, and the challenging things that happened there and how your dad turned things around. Um, but she says, what I do is I just, I struggle when I'm in a place like that, where I'm not in control. I have to, you know, follow the rules, go along here, submit to different things out there in the public. She says, man, that's what I do. But, and this is going to come up as a thread throughout this. She says, I, I seldom ever speak it, but she says she knows it's an aura of complaining that's around me. And I thought that was interesting because as Will Bowen talks about, you know, complaining is the expression of of something. And I think that that, you know, in general tends to be worse because you are infecting those around it. You're speaking it, you're giving voice, but even those who don't speak it like myself, if it's coming out in my attitude and that, that just really convicted me that I, I have more work to do, not just not speaking. It is not the end all because if she can tell the aura of me and that's affecting her, uh, then, um, you know, it's, it's still, it's still relevant. What about you? I tell you, I, I love this uh, subject. You know, there's there's 
there's kind of two ways to approach things. Hey, let's do more of this. And that's kind of the Ziegler approach. That's, that's our history, right? Uh-huh. Let's focus on the positive. Let's do more of this. Um, but one of the things that I know from a lot of my research is when we do less of something that's not good for us, we actually get a better result, right? It's, it's like in health, you know, it's, it's, it's not, you know, run an extra mile. It's stop drinking diet Coke. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. Yeah. Right. And so I really, I love the, the, you know, kind of the approach of, the book of, okay, there's four things that are going on that aren't good, complaining, criticizing, gossiping, and sarcasm. So what can we do less of? So my mission statement, a lot of people know it. My mission is to create the atmosphere that allows you to become the ber- the person God created you to become. Yeah. And so there's the visible and the invisible. And the visible is what I do outwardly. Like that's speaking it. And I got drummed in at an early age. Hey, you know what? We don't complain. We don't criticize. We certainly don't gossip and sarcasm <laughs> even. And that this has been a hard one for me. Uh, I, I don't do it, but I could get really good at it because I've got that dry, slow wit. Right. Mm. Um, we don't do that it, it, as Ziggler's. We just don't do that stuff because it's outward. But what we do do um, is we get into the habit of comparing of how we are to how we want to be. And so that internal self-criticism can be high. Yeah. And so how can you create the right atmosphere if you're, if you're that hard on yourself? Mm -hmm. Right. So, so I'm kind of with you on, on that. I'm, you know, I, I I talk about, Hey, when in the business world, we need to set the highest standard and have the deepest grace. And then we, we, you know, that's outward focus. Well, what if we had that inward focus too, mm-hmm. where we give ourselves the highest standard, but we couple that with the deepest grace. When you, when you self-criticize a lot, um, it changes your, I mean, just your countenance. Right. Because ultimately you're unhappy. Yeah. Right. So this is, this is a, this is a, this is a big one. It, it is. Well, well, and right on what you said here, I want to, I want to capitalize on what you just said. So Billy Wells, uh, she was one of the first responses. She says, for me also, it's criticizing myself and then complain, but then also complaining about circumstances sometimes. But, um, I asked her what the root felt like the root is. She says, I think it's human nature in a sense. We need we do need to analyze and in a sense, criticize ourselves. What have we done that isn't working that may actually be harming others and ourselves. And I thought about that. I mean, yeah, just back to what you said, I mean, personal development, self-help. I mean, the point is to analyze ourselves, to be aware of ourselves, to set higher standards. But, you know, maybe this goes back to the, your study of, people being problem oriented as opposed to goal oriented. I mean, I do tend to look at problems If something's going well. Now I need to continually grow in having gratitude and taking that in and accepting that and just being blessed by the positive. But I am prone to look at what's not working in business and myself and relationships and whatever, what's not working and focus on that. And I can get to have a, a critical, look at that, a frustrated. And so it goes back to your thing of having the highest standards, 
but or, or setting the highest standards, but having the, the you know the, the the highest grace. Say it again. The highest standards and the deepest grace. Deepest grace. The deepest grace is what I miss. That's the thing that I need to bring in to myself. It, my, my wife, speaking of her again, has talked about that for a long time. That that's the hardest thing that she sees that I deal with is not having grace and compassion for myself. And if I don't have it for myself, how can I have it for other people, which I don't do well. And so there is that. So I like what Billy said. Yeah, I think we are to be aware of ourselves. We are to analyze ourselves. We are to have constructive criticism, you know, for ourselves, for our efforts as we strive to improve. But can we do that with the deepest grace? And I think that as a, as humans, that's really, really difficult. And the people who do that well shine. And of course, one of the people I think about right off the bat is your dad. Um, yeah. That he was able to do that so well to marry those. Yep. And he did. And one of the things that I use, and this is something that we teach, is we have something we call the Ziegler performance formula, which is attitude times effort times skill equals performance. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the comment on human nature, you know, when, when she said, hey, it's just in our human nature uh, a little bit. And that's because we are in a culture that says our value comes from our performance. Mm -hmm. You know, what's the result that we got? And in a training yesterday with a, with a small company, I was like, Hey, look, you know, I don't want to celebrate the performance level. I mean, I don't want to celebrate how many wins we got. Um, what I want to celebrate is were we true to the process in the moment? Was our attitude, right? Did mm -hmm. we give it a hundred percent and did we grow that day? Right. So when my self-awareness, uh, my, analyzing myself and I, and I look at a situation in the moment that I was there, did I bring a positively contagious, uplifting, encouraging attitude? Yeah. Did I give it a hundred percent? Was I prepared skill wise? Well, now we get to look at the result. Okay. The, the, the performance side, sometimes we win, sometimes we lose, but if I can transform my view of performance from, Hey, my worth and value depends on the result I got and instead think of performance as what did I learn that I can do even better next time? Yeah. Right. And that's where we can take that self critique, that kind of debilitating because if, because nobody's perfect. And in fact, even if we make the shot, we didn't do it perfectly. Yeah. Right. You know, we could have, we could say, well, it didn't go in the center of the, of the hole. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's like, yeah. But if I instead say, man, I was, I, I trusted the process. What did I learn? That's, that's a, a good take on it. But for yeah. me, and it's, I think it's always going to be there. It's that desire to grow, to do better, to be more effective. Cause I really want that. And then that balance between uh, getting down on the result versus celebrating uh, the process. Yes, man, that speaks to me, Tom. I, I, do, I do often take for granted the things that are working well instead of taking, building up the fuel of gratitude uh, and letting that affect my spirit. I tend to look at what's not working and it seems justified in my own head at the moment but man you know here's another Susie Bradley she says to be criticizing circumstances um 
and, and somewhat criticizing others. And I asked her, what is the root? I actually, when I first posted this, did not have that question. I went back and added it asking people, uh, you know, the initial question said, and what do you think is the root? And she said, it's a desire to control. I'm a recovering control freak. And that one is always an interesting one to me, control, because I don't think of myself as a control freak, but it's just because of my perspective with it. I do not need to control everything in the environment around me, but I want to control me. And if anyone infringes upon my trajectory and, and, and what I want, then I can become that control freak. And again, I keep, I'm going to keep coming to my wife because as this is such a personal issue and she sees that in me as well, that, yeah, I don't have to control everything, but my little, little personal world, I have, I, I have absolute control over. And if somebody infringes on that and there comes the, the criticism and some authority problems that I have and not being able to submit well to others. So when people hear that, I wanted them to see, I think there's different levels of control. We do see the person who feels like they have to control everybody and control the environment around them. But just because you see somebody who's not that way, they may be a control freak in and of themselves. And we did a show not long ago, Tom, where we talked about uh, somewhat on this tangent of the things that bother us, the things that derail us, I think was the question. And control was the primary thread that came up when we feel out of control of the environment, relationships, our kids, our health, our work, our money, whatever, that that's the thing that tends to derail us most is when we lose control. I think it's a undetected virus that is predominant in our culture, maybe even more than today's coronavirus, Tom. Yeah, no doubt about that. You know, I just, uh, I'm kind of floating in my office right now. I just had a breakfast with Bob Bodine. And uh, when awesome. we have breakfast, we we go deep, right? And we go wide. And one of the things that we talked about is that if you look at, uh, and I'll just give them a bunch of titles. If you look at the world changers, the top 1% in any category, the people who have the biggest impact, they've gotten to a place uh, where where they are no longer concerned with you know, the dimension that almost everybody lives in, which is the dimension of control, mm-hmm. right? They move into a higher level. Uh, you know, it's, they, they, they live in the, in the who dimension as Bob calls it right from the power of who the who dimension is when I get the right people who know how to make things happen, it's about relationship and relationship is spiritual and one plus one equals 10, in that level and guess what you can't do you can't control that there's no um there's no way to to predict what's going to happen all you know is is that when you have somebody you love and care for or or somebody who is a true friend whatever they ask you go and do it Mm. right and so what control says is man i gotta pre-plan this i i gotta have every I dotted and T crossed, you know, I, I can't go and just call that person because they don't know who I am. And, you know, I don't have my resume together and blah, 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 blah. But wait a second. You were introduced to him by a close friend. That's all you need. And it's very scary. And it's very, um, gosh, I don't know what the, it's intimidating to step into that realm 
of connection yeah. of just, just letting that happen. And so, uh, because we can't control that stuff, we tend to complain and gossip and blame circumstances and criticize others who seem to make it happen all the time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a great perspective. And I, I want, I don't want people to miss uh, you talking about Bob uh, Bodine and, and folks, his name is spelled B E A U D I N E. And he is Tom's mentor, big friend of Ziegler. And if you have not heard our shows with him, here they are. Episode 324. That was on his, I think, was it his initial book, Tom? The Power of Who? Probably, yeah. Okay. And then, uh, so 324, The Power of Who, such a strong book. And then show 415 on his book, Two Chairs, which I have heard more leaders testify to the power that book had in their lives. Uh, uh, so uh, listen, those, those shows, 324, 415, and you'll, you'll hear some of the main spirit of Ziegler in those shows with Bob. I think you and I did both of those shows with him. Um, we yep, jointly we co-host. You are listening to The Ziegler Show and this question about our complaining. Next, I read from a listener who vulnerably admits she's just habitually complaining and criticizing and is the root is negativity in general. And we spent a good while discussing the reality of dealing with hard circumstances. So we'll start right back in again after I share some great products and services with you. All right. Uh, Sally Stone King, man, it's just a vulnerable, candid post. She says, I struggle with complaining and criticizing and always seeing the negatives first. It's not like I mean to, it happens. And I realize it later. I need to take more of, she's speaking to me, of your dad's, what does this make possible attitude when things happen? It takes time to rewire my brain. Short post and so profound things there. Sally, I appreciate you just being candid uh, with us there, but she mentions my dad. I think most people know my dad is Dan Miller, the author of 48 Days to the Work You Love and leader of the 48 Days uh, business. But that is something he's known for and known to talk about is to take a negative. So let's take an out of control thing, a bad circumstance, whatever. And instead of complaining about it to say, okay, what does this make possible? Especially if it's something that you cannot change. And I'll tell you a big story for him. A lot of people who know him, he has a, I call it his compound. Uh, maybe a state is a better word in Franklin, Tennessee. And he has a converted garage that has an apartment next to it. And it's where he does his product fulfillment and has held events for years. Thousands of people have attended intimate events at that place. And at some point a year ago, year and a half ago, something like that, they got hit with a legality issue on some of the zoning and some things that hadn't been done correctly and got to the point where the threat was that it was going to have to be bulldozed down this event center of his. And they did what he's been practicing for so many years, took it in stride and said, well, what does this make possible? And not that that was the root issue, but they started really questioning where they are in life and looking at things. And ultimately they are selling the whole place and moving to Florida. Now, again, that one negative issue wasn't the point, but it was a classic example of him doing, what does this make possible? And man, especially Tom, with those things in my life that I can't control. When that thing happens that I can't control, you know, how Elrod, who I interviewed not long ago, and I don't have this show episode, I'll come up with it here in a second, uh, that we interviewed recently with his phenomenon of a book 
millions of copies have sold, which is the, the miracle morning. He leads off talking about that similar issue when he was in a head on accident, uh, his legs severely demolished. They said he's never going to walk again, all these things. And he actually caught grief from the doctors who thought he was loopy mentally because of the way he handled this. He didn't go into despair. He wasn't upset about it, but it's because for years he had been practicing this perspective of, I can't control this. It exists today. So what am I going to do? What good is complaining? Now that may sound harsh, Tom, I think to a lot of people, because you know, you need to be in, in tune to your emotions and pay attention to those and give them gravity. Granted, we don't need to be Pollyanna just put away, but he talks about that. He said, I didn't do that, but I just realized I can't do anything to, to change it. My legs are destroyed at this moment. I think I'm going to walk. I'm going to try to walk, but either way, my, how much time do I want to spend in despair? It's really convicting. Yeah. You know, dad had a quote, um, a positive attitude won't let you do anything, right? Yep. but it will let you do everything better than a negative attitude will. Yeah. And it, and it has to, and, and so that is a, that's a mindset choice. And so I, I, you know, and, and some people are just are bent that way. Um, and we're grateful for them. I'm, I'm really grateful that engineers, when they're doing their job, they start thinking about, well, what's going to make the bridge fail? True. <laughs> you know? True. I am, I'm really, really grateful for it. So some people are just kind of wired that way. And if, so if that's, if that's you and that's, and that's what you do, Hey, I'm grateful for you. If you're going to do delicate eye surgery on me, you're the one I want to do it. Yeah. Right. Be- because you know, but what I want you to have is an upbeat attitude when you go in, Hey, this is going to work out great. Right. And, and how is that? And so I think, you know, maybe just a simple, a simple way of addressing it is, you know, it's, it's perfectly, I, it's perfectly, it's actually a positive thing to identify the negative. Yeah. Right. But then we got to move off. Okay. So that's the worst thing that can happen. Let's, let's mitigate that. Let's make sure that doesn't happen. And then we just get really excited about it. And, you can turn that uh, seemingly uh, burden into a gift. Uh, but, and this is where it gets limiting, and this is where it hurts people, is what the conversation that we just had about Bob Bodine, yeah. is we tend to let that cover our relationships as well. And, and then that just keeps them in the first dimension, which is in the controlled area. But what we want is we want it to go into the, relationship dimension which is supernatural right that's where the big things happen in life that's where things we can never imagine come true and so we can never let our our predisposition to looking at it from a negative limit you know the limitless creator well and that again gets into the toxicity of complaining that's what we're talking about uh, i did find the show with hal elrod it's episode 709 not that long well this is show what 768 so um 709 and in there he talked about and he didn't invent this but that somebody at some point had shared the five minute rule with him which in essence and i'll i'll you know compare it to this show here saying okay something bad happened you got five minutes to complain criticize gossip be sarcastic whatever and so he talks candidly in there so he started doing that and he would vent and fume and whatever for five minutes and then time was up and he had to let it go so that was what he did 
But I, what I love is as he, as he continues in the story, he says, ultimately though, after the you know fifth, 10th, I don't know how many times of doing that, something bad happened. All right. Sets his timer. He's going to have five minutes and a minute goes by and he thinks, well, what the heck am I going to waste the next four minutes for doing this? Do I really need to do that? And so, you know, and it just gets, but again, that's what he practiced for years. And then he has this massive wreck and that training came right back. And it again, goes back to just what Sally talked about with my dad, uh, Dan Miller and, and my mom, Joanne Miller, uh, of them doing they taking that negative thing, that thing they can't control and saying, what makes, what does this make possible? They did that for so many years. And then when something big happened, they were able to use that, man, that's where I want to be, Tom, uh, as I arrogant, I, I'm not so arrogant to think tragedy won't hit me at some point as well. Well, Christine Apple, she says, criticizing yourself. And, I, and I'll say right here, folks, I mean, we're, we're what, 22 minutes into this thing, uh, at least as far as the main recording here. And that is the thread here. Now, gr- this is not the, I want to, I want to place out there. This is not a slice of the average American populace. All these, that's relevant for saying for all these Q and a shows that Tom and I do like this, this is not a slice of, uh, a random hundred people walking through times square in New York. These are people who listen to the Ziegler show. So we have an aspiring audience. So I think that does skew our results here. As we do these questions that become kind of like a little survey, we have an aspiring audience. So here we have this aspiring audience. And if these are people who spend a lot of time at the water cooler, or or if there are people who spend a lot of time at the water cooler gossiping and criticizing and complaining, they're not the type of people who listen to this show by far and large. So it's not surprising that the majority of the responses here are criticism of self. Uh, So that's relevant, I think, to put out there on this thread. It is a skewed thread, and I'm grateful for those people uh, that we have this type of people here. But so Christine says the same thing, criticizing self. She says, it pushes me to set goals and become better. At least I am working on something that is within my power and the Lord's power to change. I also try to see myself as others see me and not be overly critical. Well, Tom, she has a couple of good points in there. That last statement though was interesting to me. I try to see myself as others see me and not be overly critical. That one has not been a help to me, Tom. Um, it should, but I still have this internal thing that says, okay, yeah, I know you see my going back to what you said a little bit ago, Tom, you see my performance, you see me modifying my inner critic, my inner complaining, my inner gossip, inner sarcasm. And I modify that because I know it's not going to do you or me any good to speak it. So I'm not going to speak it and I'm going to be kind and I'm going to be grateful, but inside I know what's going on. So I know the real me. So you saying, see me like others. Yeah. You don't see the real me. I still know me inside. And so I don't. Don't let others perspective of me speak to me as it should. I'm trying to get better. I try to listen to you, Tom, when you tell me how great of a job I do here as the host of the Ziggler show and how good of a guy I am and how much you love me. And I try, I am trying to give that the gravity that it should have, but I know that myself and I think a lot of folks in our audience still have that inner thing that discounts it that discounts going back to your dad on encouragement. They discount the encouragement because they, yeah, I know you're seeing the performance me, but it's not the real me. Yeah. In our, in our certification training, we do an exercise where, you know, we have people go deep 
uh, reveal something about themselves, reveal how they see themselves, and then everybody in the group, and usually the group is you know, six or seven people, uh, then writes them uh, an I like. And in the I like, right. it says, I like Kevin because. And, they, and we point out very specific observable things that we like about that person. And it's the most powerful um, activity that we do as yeah. far as the, the groups go. Uh, we do it on the last day, and we do it when everybody knows each other. And people literally break down and weep during that activity. And it's because I think whenever somebody says something about us that we don't recognize in ourselves, accepting it is very difficult. Yeah. Right. Right. It's, it's, it, and then when you hear it from three or four people right in a row in their own words saying similar things, it's a, it's truly a, you know, it's a life changing transformational thing. Um, and we just have a tendency. We, we don't give ourselves credit and it's not from a, from a, I'm not talking about our pride or an ego perspective. It is just recognizing that, Hey, you know what? None of us are perfect. Uh, and so we need to, the scales have to be balanced in how we look at ourselves. Mm -hmm. And we tend, a lot of us, especially those probably listening uh, to our podcast, we tend to err on the side of, man, I can do better. I'm not quite good enough. If they only knew who I really was, they wouldn't think that. That's why I'm on this journey to improve. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, so what happens when you come to grips with, hey, you know what? I I have done some things. I, I, I am, you know, these are qualities that I have. Um, and I can still get better. Well, there's a, there is a, um, when you, when you learn to forgive yourself, it, it frees you up because mm -hmm. I think at the end of the day, what this, what this really is, it's, it's an act of recognizing and forgiving ourselves when we're not always perfect. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know what, following this, uh, the recording of this show, I'll be recording a show. Uh, this is six sixty eight. I think it's for show seven seventy one with a lady, Jennifer Allwood, a uh, big personality out there. I just got finished reading a section in her book about just what you said, Tom, uh, where she talks so much about that, about the, when we don't forgive ourselves and, and forgive, you know, others, of course, but when we don't carry that around, just how massively that affects everything. She looks at it as a root issue for, you know, even from, from business success, uh, because generally our, our things in business that are limiting us are so personal. Um, I, I don't, I don't want to be, I would be remiss if I didn't, um, mention ZLC Ziegler legacy certification. I went, I think it was June of 2018. And Tom, I remember getting the first card of, I, I like you, uh, or I like this about you. I, th I have, I was sitting here while you were talking, thinking about where I have them. I think they're in the, on the shelf behind me in one of the folders that from the event, but yeah, it was so significant. It seems like such a little thing, but to be there with, 
I don't know how many people were there, 30 or whatever, uh, people that I, I didn't know. I think I knew one person in the room maybe. And to get that card, I, when you, when they talked about it, I was thinking about giving them, gosh, who can I encourage? Who can I give? And then when I came back to my seat after whatever session or something, and there was one laying there, I was just, it, it, it was surprising how much it meant to me. It really was. Yeah, I was uh, one of our uh, certified trainers. His name is Ongo Wangatau, and he's from Papua New Guinea. And he came through probably four years ago, maybe five years, four years ago. And we asked him, how did this feel? And he said, well, in our culture, you would never tell someone to their face what you think about them that's positive. Hmm. And so he said, this was extremely uh, difficult, but also extremely like life giving almost. And he said, you would say these things to their cousin, their spouse, their best friend, but you wouldn't tell them directly. Right. It's just the culture. And, and so the following year I had a chance to go and do a, a training in Papua New Guinea. And so, so everybody's there, they're all, uh, from Papua New Guinea and there's over a hundred people in the room and we do this exercise. It's kind of a small, short version of this. And we, you tape a sheet of paper on the, on somebody's back. And then you get 10 other people to write a compliment there, a sincere compliment on the back. (laughs) And so you can do it pretty quickly, right? It takes about 10 minutes. Uh, So we had a hundred people and I'm sitting there taking pictures and watching this room and the, the facial expressions, the glow, like there was an aura in the room that suddenly changed. And the, the compliments that were written on the backs of people, they were done anonymously. There, there was no name next to it. Like, you know, I wouldn't say, hey, you know, you're an awesome person, kind and considerate, and then put my name. I would just put that up there. Uh, but they were all looking around saying, who's, you know, they were thinking, who said that about mm-hmm. me? And you could just see the spirit change. And I think we all crave that. Yeah. Right. Right. But until we are, give ourselves permission to have that same conversation with ourselves, it's hard to accept it from others. It is. I'm, I'm going to write a note to myself. I'm thinking about this with my kids. I think I'm pretty good at speaking encouragement and positive things to them, but man, it's something else to get it in writing, to find it on your pillow or your desk or something like that. Something that you uh, tangibly can look at. And, and I think it, you, you tend to accept it better. So I'm going to do that there. I should, uh, you know what? I should just, I should go on a rampage do that with my kids, do it here at the office with employees. Um, man, so powerful. Okay. A couple more here. Jennifer speaks to something that we, we hit a second ago, but it's worth repeating again. She says, I'm super harsh on myself and I'm guilty, but I'm guilty of being harsh on others as well, but all internally, I never let anyone know I'm criticizing them, but I am. I think the root is that by criticizing others, it somehow makes me feel better about myself and my many shortcomings. Uh, plus growing up, I was always involved in competitive events that were conducive to critique and criticisms and it stayed with me. Uh, that one, now I talked before about my own propensity to not speak out the negative, but I feel it. And it of course cascades into other aspects of my, my you know, from my attitude to how I treat other people. Um, but that was interesting to me as well. She grew up in competitive sports. 
man, I was a pro athlete and uh, a pro cyclist, but even before that, as a kid, probably preteen, maybe teen, I'll never forget being at a BMX race in some other state, some national event. And I did poorly. I didn't do that well. And sitting in the stands with my dad and he led me in the exercise of, okay, look, watch these guys watch. And this was the main event stuff, the, the pros and the top guys, let's watch them. What are they doing that you're not doing? And I, I wasn't irritated with him, Tom, but I wasn't feeling friendly. I don't think about it <laughs> and, uh, because I also knew he's right. And I sat there and I was mainly just frustrated at myself. I felt like I had been lazy. I hadn't trained appropriately. I wasn't being a good student of it. And I did, we came out with a list of things like that. And, and, and I of course had a great career, uh, in that sport, but yeah, that's true. I, I think at any top level, and again, going back to our audience here of, I'm going to, I'm going to say professionals. I did a show not long ago saying we're all professionals as it is defined. We are all professionals. We did act like, uh, like that more. And part of that is being aware and constructively critiquing ourselves all the time. Now back to your grace, but in grace. And I think that's what, what Jennifer is speaking to there. We've got to do it with grace. And that is, it's just, it's just counterintuitive. I think Tom, isn't it? I mean, to humanity, it's just not natural. I don't know if that's, if we want to blame the fall of humanity and our sinful nature or whatever. Um, my, I don't see that in myself. Of course, I'll admit that, but culturally I don't see grace as just a natural byproduct that we tend to all have. It's something that we, it seems like we need to supernaturally be different, be abnormal to have true grace. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, to me, it's one of the mysteries of, you know, how do you grace is something you don't deserve. Right. Yeah. It's always, we always feel like, okay, performance means if I, if I win, I deserve the prize. Uh, grace is something that says, Hey, I fell short, but I get the prize anyway. Right. Cause it's, 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 it's a whole different, uh, approach to it. And, and I don't know if, if, if this is helpful, but the, the more we can look at the gifts that we have and how to position those rather than the failings or shortcomings we have, the better chance we have of yeah. that. Uh, it's, it's funny, um, you know, David Wright, who, who's on our team and, and does a lot, a ton of coaching, um, he says when a when a child, you know, a 12 or 14 month old child is learning how to walk, right? And they're pulling up uh and they pull up and they they're wobbly and they take one step and then they fall down. You know, nobody in the room goes, "Oh, look, you stupid baby. You fell down. Ha ha ha. I can't believe that," right? No. <laughs> the whole family gathers around and they say, "You got this. You got this. Come on, let's do it again," right? Yeah. You know, it's that it's that encouragement. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of us, when we, when we don't do well, when we make a mistake, when we fail, a lot of it is we're just in a, in a way, it's something new. We're learning how to walk. We haven't gotten there yet. Why not encourage ourselves like we encourage that, that baby learning how to walk? What's your quote? Or, or I think it's your dad's quote. Uh, anything worth doing well is worth doing badly to begin with. How, how, I, any, anything worth doing is worth doing poorly until you learn to do it well. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. And so then that, this is a great example. Okay. So what's the highest standard 
uh, man, if you just set your mind on something, I want to do it with excellence, right? I want to the high. I want to live life with excellence. Okay, so what does the grace mean? Grace means that, hey, while I'm learning that, while I'm doing it poorly, I'm gonna I'm gonna give myself the grace to know that, you know, nobody you know, came out of the womb and was running, uh, you know, track and field, you know, three days later, <laughs> it just doesn't, yeah. you know, that's just not the way it is. Right. We've got to grow and develop and mature. And your dad, when he, when he said, what are the, what are the pros doing? The people who you want to become, what are they doing? And and what he was really saying is, is what do you have to do now in yeah. order to get to where they are? Yeah. Uh, and that's like the lesson. So, how do people get discouraged? Well, they get discouraged when uh, they can't ride like the pro. But wait a second. Why is that? You haven't put in the 10,000 hours either. Yeah. Yeah. Right. You have no reason to be discouraged. Go put in 10,000 hours and see where you are and then we'll talk. Yeah. And folks, I, I assume people know that reference because it's so used, especially in the business world and the self-development, uh, self-improvement world. But Malcolm Gladwell, I don't know if he invented that term, but I, I know it from him. Uh, he coined it for me in his book, Outliers. He really talks about that and, and, and in a sense dispels the idea that the pros, the celebrities, the experts, the people at the top of the heap, that they were born with something better or different than the rest of us that they merely put in their time. Now they, you know, maybe had the luck like Bill Gates of being exposed to a computer earlier and, and, and with much more exposure than most people. And, and then he did have the propensity to really dig into it, but man, he put his 10,000 hours in. So did Michael Jordan. So did, uh, Wayne Gretzky. So did these people. It's, it's just been a profound message that has, man, it's, it's, it's stuck in the business world since I, I do think he, I, as far as I know, he came out with that perspective or the study, or at least referenced it and brought it to light. Such a powerful reality. Well, one more. It's just a great, uh, great. Uh, I don't know. Two, uh, a great discussion point on this. Jody Hawkins. She says, Jody Tootin, uh, Hawkins Tootin, criticizing others is is where she struggles. My go-to is that I'm pretty good overall and don't have much to worry or complain about. I know I'm a child of God. His thoughts about me are more important than anything else, and He calls me His. But it's not always easy to see others this way. Uh, especially those who hurt me or those I love. I firmly believe that when I do see others the way he, capital H, does, I can love them no matter what and not judge their actions or intentions. He is helping me daily to become more like that. Uh, Ted Decker in his book, The Forgotten Way, says that it boils down to either judging, condemning ourselves or judging and condemning others. I think that has a lot to do with personalities and perceptions of ourselves and others and circumstances. It's a work in progress uh, as usual. And boy, that, you know, what a call. That is always the call. Can I, can I look at myself? You know, back to your grace, Tom, one of my primary perspectives of God's relationship with me, view of me is like I have as a parent. And I think that's one of the uh, created in his image gifts that we get. And man, if I could look at myself with the grace that I am able to, for the most part, look at with my kids, especially as you referenced a minute ago, Tom, especially my younger ones and to look at them and just praise them. I took my, uh, my, my youngest son 
who's 10 to soccer. Um, he's wanted to play for a while. We've had him do another sport. So it was his first day doing it, man. All I couldn't see anything, but what he did, right. And he did a ton of things wrong. It's his first day on the field, uh, in practice, but all I could do is see, uh, what he did. Well, I videotaped it. I sent it to family. I'm so proud of him. And yet when was the last time have I ever been able to view myself that way? N- no. But if that's the truth, as, as Jody talks about, and if I can do that for me, how much less criticizing will I be doing to myself and therefore other people? And that's what convicts me probably more than anything is that junk that I'm doing to myself. I cannot stop that flow from affecting other people, those I love in my life, just like Jody talks about here. I, I'm convicted, Tom. <laughs> can you tell? Yeah. But, you know, you can't be too convicted because then you'd be violating the whole essence of this podcast. That's true. (laughs) (laughs) Great. Great. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. I'd be convicted. You can't be, you can be convicted. You just can't be too down on yourself. Can't be too down on myself. No, I am here as the podcast host and the chiefest of hypocrites. Thank you. That's right. Now Uh, you've got an opportunity to improve. I sure do. Well, I appreciate that perspective. That's, I don't know a better way to leave the show than that. If we can look at ourselves as I know God looks at us or, or again, for those who have been given the gift of being parents or, uh, you know, raising a, a child, being involved with the youngster to look at ourselves with the grace back to what you said, Tom, with that high level of grace that we give to kids. Why can't we have it for ourselves? Okay. I'm going to write that on my, I'm going to go get a tattoo today. Maybe that'll be my first one. Finally, uh, <laughs> Tom, brother, thanks, man. I get so much out of these, as always. All right, yeah. I think we get more out of the show than the than the get than the listeners do. I do so. too. I do too. Amen. All right, friends. I trust this has you thinking about your your attitude, how you're feeling and behaving, especially negatively. Uh, it sure is the case for me, and of course, wanting to uncover what is the root driver in these issues. Coming up in episode 769, fight for deep work blocks. Are you able to concentrate, focus, think critically and creatively? When episode 767, I brought you John Mark Comer and we discussed the profound message in his book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. It's an issue we discussed and a lot of it came around to the scattered attention caused by the massive distractions of today's world. What with our electronic devices and social media, our attention spans are at an all-time low. The consequences are, as John Mark cites, that we are chipping away at our capacity for concentration and contemplation. Well, this is our habit show. And I walked through the seven spokes on the Ziegler Wheel of Life with John Mark. In the career spoke, he said a priority for him is fighting for deep work blocks. So he's a pastor and a writer. So maybe that doesn't come as a shock to you. But my question is, who does not need deep work? work blocks or just blocks of deep time and thinking in general, deep time to be at peace, to think critically and creatively. How much would our lives benefit to stop and think deeply about any aspect of our lives or in your work to work deeply? When are you really working deeply, creatively and developing new things, new ideas, thinking towards the future, thinking to innovate? So We're going to talk about that and much more as we walk through the habits of John Mark Comer in episode 769. Till then, thank you as always for letting me walk with you as we inspire our true performance together. 